0: What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast. I am Tony. This is Mariana over here. It is no secret, the fitness industry kind of sucks. We talk about that quite a bit, whether it's the corrupt multi-billion dollar supplement and weight loss industry or the endless supply of influencers promoting anything to drive page views. And we mean anything. The bottom line is we're not trying to just provide another fitness podcast, but completely change the fitness industry for the better by providing you with the knowledge and tools to give you the confidence in applying the best possible training and nutrition into your own life. Now, today we're going to be talking about caffeine, something that Marianne and I are talking on right now, sipping on right now, and something that about 93% of Americans drink on a regular basis, but more specifically how caffeine actually works inside of your body from a mechanistic standpoint, how to optimize your caffeine intake to reap the positive benefits, like enhanced focus, mood, energy, and performance without some of the negative effects like increasing blood pressure and feelings of anxiety and jitteriness, how caffeine tolerance actually works, and how to implement strategies to avoid this altogether if we can, and even other supplements to stack with or synergistically with caffeine to further increase the positives and offset any negatives, especially if we're talking about improving your performance if you work out later in the day and you don't want caffeine to interfere with your sleep. Before we jump into the episode, quick shout out to all of our homeboys, homegirls who gave us a five star review. We reached over a thousand on Spotify. Speaking of, this is our 50th episode. Round of applause for uh, you and I. We're the only ones here <laughs> right now, but that's pretty freaking cool. So we reached over a thousand, but everyone that takes that like 10, 15 seconds that you could do right now to write five stars, we seriously appreciate it so much. It's what's pushed us over these first 50 episodes to. One, be one of the top one percent globally shared podcasts, which we got news of a couple of weeks ago, which we were freaking floored about, along with even reaching the top twenty on Spotify charts throughout the year as well. So we thank you guys so much for doing that.
1: Yes, we're super grateful. And also, if you really like the research aspect that we bring into each episode, make sure you join us on our premium membership in the Fitness Stuff Research Review, where we dive even deeper into the latest research addressing individual nuances, showing you how to apply each aspect into your own specific lifestyle. We've also been seeing a lot of you share the presentation we do with the research review on social media, which we absolutely love, but we've also been getting a lot of questions about what that actually is. So remember the research review includes a visual PowerPoint presentation covering each study we review in broad and specific details, so you get that whole visual, you get to see the graphs, we dive deep into it, and a lot of people like that audio and visual combination, so we're super excited that you guys are sharing and go check it out while we are still running our deal through the new year. It is $5 a month. You get the private premium feed, listen to weekly research reviews, and get access to the Ask Me Anything episodes, and that's a really great option for you to ask really specific questions. We get into detail, and we get to build that kind of community with you guys, which we love. By supporting us here, you're not only getting access to these weekly research reviews, but you're helping us rewrite the fitness industry narrative, which is the biggest goal. So the link for that is in the show notes below. Before we get into this wonderful caffeine episode, quick note from our sponsor, Legion. We love Mm. Legion Athletics for so many reasons. Not only do their values line up with ours completely, they are evidence-based. They take so many efforts to be an evidence-based platform, whether it's through the podcast on their blog, with the other ambassadors that they work with. They're such a great community, but then they also just have the best products. Tony and I really like, and this is perfect for this episode, their pre-workout. They also Mm -hmm. have a stim-free version, which is really helpful if you are one of those people that maybe feels the effects from pre-workout a little bit too much. It doesn't come with the jitters that some people may feel. I love them both. They also have great flavors. They're very smooth and it's a great addition to your
0: nutrition. Especially the ones that work out later in the day are too close to bedtime where they can't really take a, a caffeinated yeah, pre-workout because it really hurts their sleep quality or just doesn't let them fall asleep altogether. Their stim-free is freaking incredible.
1: Yeah. So if you want to try out any of their products or just the pre-workout, you can use the Legion link in the show notes and use the code FSPOD at checkout for 20% off your first order or double points on every order after that. Wonderful. Let's get into it. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. It's fun. Let's talk about it. Put this outline together. I put a and a on Instagram. Which got a lot of questions, probably the most questions I've ever gotten from putting a Q&A on Instagram regarding a specific podcast episode, which doesn't really shock me. I know you and I both drink caffeine on almost a daily basis, if not a daily basis. We're always drinking this. I got a 3D right here. Hashtag not a sponsor. I know you're sipping on one, two, not a 3D. Yes. But we got caffeine. It's impressive. And it's insane because when I was looking up some of the stats about caffeine... <laughs> over this one doesn't really mean that much, but it's mind-blowing. over 100,000 metric tons of caffeine are consumed per year on a global basis. Like I said in the beginning, over 93 percent of Americans report using caffeine on a regular basis. Over 75 percent of caffeine users report consuming at least one caffeinated beverage every day and over 25 percent of users report consuming three or more caffeinated beverages per day. These mostly coming from coffee, tea, soft drinks, energy drinks, supplements, chocolate, which a lot of people don't really realize, and sometimes even gums or candies. Hang on. Chocolate? It comes from cocoa, the cocoa bean. So it's more present in dark chocolate than it is milk chocolate in certain kinds, especially if you go like that super, super, super dark chocolate that people like. There's about, I think in here, about 24 milligrams per ounce of dark chocolate is on average what
1: you consume. Oh my goodness! I only like dark chocolate. I eat eighty-five percent cacao, dark chocolate every single night. Wonder if are that's didn't know that. Definitely didn't know that. I don't know how much you... an ounce is. Like how are much? Are you would... okay?
0: Who I don't enjoys eat that much that... of it. Do you really enjoy that?
1: Yes, I love it. I have like small amount. I maybe have almost two tablespoons. Maybe is probably the measurement. It tastes like dirt. I love bitter foods.
0: Oh my god! I'm yeah. sorry for you, but yeah. It contains caffeine. I know a lot of people do snack on things like that. That's not uncommon before bed snack. Now we're going to jump into it because caffeine is a stimulatory anti-sleep compound is what it's best referred to, which is funny because I think a lot of people don't really realize it. It's best considered an anti-sleep and it's one of the most widely used drugs on the planet. And yes, it is a drug for reasons that we're going to get into a little bit later. Now I refer to it as an anti-sleep compound, mainly because its main mechanism is acting as an adenosine antagonist adenosine being a receptor in the brain causing sedation relaxation and collects over the course of a day now we're going to go deeper into that here in a little bit but it's more strongly an anti-sleep compound than it is a hardcore stimulant even though it does have stimulating effects now after you take caffeine you're going to notice a few things happen both on a physiological and a neurological standpoint first you're going to notice that things start to change on how your body's acting. Your breathing, your heart rate, your blood pressure all acutely increase. After this, your pupils start to dilate, and you even see an increase in neurotransmitters like adrenaline, dopamine, serotonin, and cortisol, which cortisol can be a good thing if we spike that at the right times and when we use it correctly. Now, all of these things can lead to an increase in overall cognition, memory, focus, improved athletic performance and recovery, improved learning speed and reaction time. But it can also, and I know if you've ever been here, I know I have for certain, if you're on like low sleep, or you have a little bit too much caffeine, or some people just being very caffeine sensitive, can increase anxiety and jitteriness to a very uncomfortable point. Have you ever been there before?
1: No. Okay. I've got a nice level of anxiety at baseline. So I wouldn't know if it was... You're just
0: cruise control anxiety. So you don't experience the natural (laughs) jumps from things like caffeine sometimes.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Okay. Maybe I'm part of the minority. -er.
1: Oh, I know a lot of people like that. A little
0: shaky. Okay. So I'm not alone. Maybe a lot of people experience this, but it is technically considered a drug because it does stimulate the central nervous system. So it is legitimately a drug one of the most effective as far as it comes to um what it actually does to the human body one of the most effective legal supplement substances on the planet along with things like nicotine alcohol legal that crosses boundaries and marijuana which we've covered before too depending on where you live it also works as a vasodilator right widening the blood vessels and increasing blood flow to some parts of the body which i found pretty interesting because we talk about increase in blood pressure. Now this apparent vasodilation is one of the reasons why medical experts say that coffee can be good for heart health long-term. And I know you've seen the headlines pop up, coffee drinkers are one to two cups of coffee a day makes you live X amount of years longer, but you'll probably see another headline that says the exact opposite, that it takes years off your life. That's the beauty of media nowadays. Mm -hmm. But that is one of the reasons why people think it can be good for overall heart health when you take it decent doses in moderation and not snorting it like I see a lot of people doing on TikTok nowadays. Now, it is a side note as well. It does work a little bit different in the brain doing a little bit of the opposite, acting as a vasoconstrictor, right? Causing blood vessels in the brain to more contract, which I thought was also interesting that it had opposite effects in the brain, the body when it came to that. Now, once we get into it, you're consuming caffeine a lot of different points through the day. There's a lot of different ways that you could take this in. The average eight ounce cup of coffee contains about 95 milligrams of caffeine. It is also interesting to note that the lighter, the coffee bean typically has the higher caffeine concentration than the darker roast. <sighs> What's that face for?
1: I only have ever liked light brews. So there we go. we're connecting some dots here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're slowly realizing some things. Lighter coffee beans or lighter brews, lighter roasts typically have a little bit higher caffeine concentration than the darker roast because they spend less time in the roasting process. The average soda or pop, depending on what side of the country you live on, contains anywhere from 35 to 55 milligrams of caffeine, even diet outside of root beer or non-caffeinated beverages, which I don't think a lot of people realize. You just don't really think about it when you're thinking about caffeine consumption.
1: Yeah, because I'm in my diet Coke era right now, so to say. I haven't been drinking, so when I go out, I always or do anything like I always like to get a diet coke. I will never have more than two, just because the aftertaste starts to eh, get stronger. I didn't really think about that. That I know radiance. it's it's
0: hidden right in chocolate and things mm. like soda. I know root beer is typically the only one that's not, especially because you see people drinking like those big gulps or those like extra large fountain drinks from places where they go. I'll even know if I eat out anywhere. I'll typically get like a a diet Coke, like a large diet Coke on the side just because I love a good flavor. Not realizing that that's just the average soda can has 35 to 55 milligrams. You're getting two to three cans in one of those larger ones. That's almost as much as an energy drink or a monster if you drink that much of it. But still in smaller doses than some things. We talked about it coming from the cocoa bean. One ounce of dark chocolate containing about 24 milligrams. Energy drinks really ranging anywhere from 50 milligrams on the low end up to 400 milligrams on the high end of some energy drinks nowadays. And then most caffeine supplements, I know a lot of people like to take pills. I don't know if you've ever taken a caffeine pill, but it's for people that don't like to drink it. They take it as a supplement, which usually hits a little bit quicker. And you notice those effects a little bit cleaner is what people usually describe it as. But those are usually dosed at about 200 milligrams per Now, I did take this because we're going to separate caffeine from pre-workout from energy drinks today. And we're going to talk about all three of those things, but most of this is going to be directed directly at caffeine. Now, we're going to talk about energy drinks, and we've talked about this several times before, where people a lot of the time, like a lot of things, demonize energy drinks. Yeah specific energy drinks, like the Celsius trend causing heart attacks on social media, because you look at this and I think the most common argument against this is it's like, you can't even name half the ingredients in here. I'm looking at my 3d hashtag, not a sponsor right now. And you could barely pronounce several of these things on there, but when you actually look them up, they're not anything very unnatural. These are all things that aren't really dangerous, especially at the dose that's found in one single can of an energy drink. So a monster a Celsius, a 3D on their own, this isn't really going to negatively impact your health. This isn't something that we have to be super worried about in most cases, unless you have pre-existing heart conditions. I think they get demonized a little bit because sometimes people do abuse these having two, three or more a day yes. on a day-to-day basis where this is now subgoing their sleep health. That's getting suppressed along with their just their adrenaline's being pumped out throughout the entire day. And they're like, oh, it's, energy drinks are bad. Again, Mm -hmm. everything in moderation. This is especially one of those. I can promise you not one of these ingredients listed on an energy drink, no matter which one you're drinking, on its own isolated is going to cause any real damage at like an acute level. Yeah. Unless you have some pre-existing conditions. I wanted to do this. The top five caffeinated, most caffeinated energy drinks. I wanted to give a list right there just for people that may drink some of these on a daily basis. So at number five, you got a few ties. So at number five, You got bang energy g fuel rain and several others all coming in at 300 milligrams per can that's a pretty high dose for an energy drink you know celsius 3d those are 200 monsters have about 160 so 300 is pretty high and that's where a lot of the higher end ones sit at so that's 300 in one can so if you're having two or three a day that's upwards of six to 900. number four red line extreme with 316 milligrams number three loud energy drink with 320 milligrams number two spike hardcore with 350 milligrams per dose and number one is hide extreme which was taken out of just the pre-workout that is now an energy drink and that is 400 milligrams per dose 400 I've milligrams per dose
1: heard of any of these other than bang and rain i haven't heard of it
0: you go to some of the old country gas stations and you'll see some of these, right? Mm-hmm. So th- these are ones that give you such an extreme rush and extreme spike that it's easy to develop a tolerance, which we're gonna talk about how to avoid those later, but to develop a tolerance and kind of becoming almost reliant on caffeine, not necessarily addicted, but to where without it, you notice that you are, <laughs> I feel sometimes, if there's a few days in a row where I have caffeine, I feel a little worthless. The next yeah. day, if I wake up and don't, I feel like my brain's running slow. I'm out of energy. I just want to take a nap. Imagine that multiplied if you're having one, two, maybe three of these 400 milligram drinks per day. It I'm, can get pr- pretty high dosed.
1: Even this Alani, this says 200 milligrams of caffeine, mm-hmm. but it says right on it, not, in, not recommended for people sensitive to caffeine. Yeah. And I'm sure that that they say that other places, but it's like 400?
0: That's a lot. That, that, that seems like it'd be a little cracky, a little cracky. Yeah. Now, before we dive into where it actually shows up and how it works. I think what we want to do is I want to cover how it works on like a mechanistic standpoint in the body, Mm -hmm. because this is very, very interesting to me. I know a lot of people have heard the term thrown around that we kind of talked about in the beginning as an adenosine antagonist, which it is. But I think that bridges a few gaps that I haven't heard a lot of people super clearly fill in, right? So I do want to break this down real quick, follow with me, and we'll give you a TLDR too long, didn't read version at the end to sum it up. Now, we want to understand how it works in the body, right? Your body needs a constant supply of energy through the day, which it gets by breaking down a high energy molecule called ATP, adenosine triphosphate, something that we talked about quite a bit in detail in the creatine episode, right? But it's adenosine triphosphate. That's how we use most of our energy through the day. Now, in the process of breaking ATP down, it frees up the adenosine molecule, right? So the longer you're awake living, the more adenosine is released and gathers in your bloodstream through the day. Now, this is important because there are neurons in your brain that have receptors that perfectly fit this molecule of adenosine, right? Adenosine receptors. Think of it like a child's building block. That's how a lot of the receptors are commonly referred to, even though I know that is such a dumbed down version that it's not the most accurate thing, but it's still if you got a square that fits a square, a triangle that fits a triangle, there are receptors in your brain to kind of sense how much adenosine is building up through the day, right? Now, when adenosine hits these receptors, it starts a cascade of reactions that cause neurons to slow the release of important stimulating molecules like dopamine, serotonin, acetylcholine, and adrenaline. In other words, it slowly starts to make you sleepy, which makes kind of sense. It's a nice little sensation in your brain saying, hey, The longer we're up, the more energy we're using through the day, we're going to need to recover at some point. So it's just sensing how much work you've done that day to make you a little bit sleepy and say, hey, we need to recoup. Now, here's the interesting part. Caffeine and adenosine have a very similar, but not exactly the same molecular structure. Caffeine is so close to adenosine that it essentially can wedge into these adenosine receptors without activating them. So it doesn't start that cascade that makes you sleepy. It essentially blocks them. So it wedges, but it doesn't completely fit.
1: Do you know what that's called? What? It's a competitive inhibitor.
0: A competitive inhibitor, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. the wedge, (laughs) (laughs)
1: a.k.a.
0: the wedge, right? So it's super interesting that it, I think a lot of people say it's the exact same as adenosine, and it's not. Right now, researchers found, researchers from Germany found that caffeine can block up to 50% of adenosine receptors in the brain after ingestion, which is quite a bit. Now, not only does it block adenosine from the receptor that it would normally start that cascade from, right, which would slow down dopamine, serotonin, and other molecules, but now that these molecules aren't being slowed down from that cascade, their receptors in the brain are more free to work at a higher than baseline level. So that's where the stimulating effect comes from. You're allowed to have a above average baseline of dopamine, of serotonin, of adrenaline. These things are not just now just doing what they want. They're not being blocked. They're operating at a higher than baseline level. So you're not just getting that non-sleepy feeling from blocking the adenosine buildup, but you're also getting a stimulating effect where it comes in. So essentially caffeine inhibits the inhibitor, which also stimulates you. That's how it usually works. So that is how we want to essentially set it up. So you understand how it actually works in the day. So when we start talking about things like tolerance and dosing and half lives, it starts to make sense. So that was a very in-depth kind of piece. This is where the so-called caffeine crash comes from. Right. So Mm -hmm. even though the adenosine receptors in the brain are blocked or covered for the time being, adenosine continues to build up in the body. You're still using energy through the day. You're still living. You're going through all your tasks. So it's still building up. It just hasn't had a place to technically go home. Right. To bind. So as caffeine is cleared from the adenosine receptors and metabolized through the day, which we're going to talk about how everyone does it a different process. The buildup of adenosine all comes in there at once and that's where people typically notice a caffeine crash is all that excess tiredness that's collected in the day punches them in the face more often than not in a 15 20 minute span so if you're someone who notices that caffeine really negatively affects you in that way it might be either too high of a dose or we'll talk about different timing methods that you could use either but that's where the caffeine crash typically comes from which i thought was cool too you hit a crash too much or no
1: no, I really not anymore. I used to, but I never have more than 200 in a day. So it's like, I know I'm having an energy drink. I'm not having mm-hmm. any coffee, but I definitely back in my grad school days when I would wake up, have like 24 ounces of coffee. And then in the middle of the day, I would have a venti from Starbucks with an extra shot of espresso in there. So that's more. And then Around four, I would have the cold brew or something. So I was having holy cow, so yeah. much caffeine to to keep me awake. But I was still like, that's probably the best I've ever slept, which is counterintuitive. But I would what? crash so hard at the end of the day. And go I was like, LA that
0: kind of makes sense that you'd almost pass out like a zombie because yeah. all I mean, because think about it: if you take more caffeine to avoid the crash, the initial crash, right? If you have let's say two hundred at ten a.m and you typically crash around 1 p.m., but you take another 200 milligrams to cover that up, Denazine is still building up through the day. So you're just kind of creating a larger debt yeah. that's gonna hit. So that does make sense at the end of the day when you don't push it back any further, <laughs> it just gets dumped on yeah. you. So that yeah. makes sense. The actual effects of caffeine depend on a number of factors. And that's the that was a lot of nuance in building this episode together as far as recommending different dosages and things like this is everyone's going to experience pretty much any drug differently. There's a lot of different drugs that a lot of people respond to a lot differently. Caffeine is still a drug and it works in the same way. Now, the different factors could be anything from your genetics, your body weight, from different medications that you're currently taking, other health conditions you might have, the amount of sleep you got the night before or well-being, state of mood that you're in that day, and the amount of regular consumption you have or how much of a tolerance you formed with it. There's so many different things that can give you a different response, where again, we were talking about this before the show. We've had a lot of people even say that they notice almost the opposite effect after taking caffeine where they almost get more relaxed and sleepy. And i that more common in ADHD individuals than not, at least from in my DMs. I did not look into this specific piece, but ADHD, I did notice a lot more people would notice the opposite effect. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before.
1: Oh, totally. I hear that a lot and like, Especially people who have ADHD. I hear it a lot from people who like take Adderall for their ADHD. I really don't know why the ADHD plays a role into it. Yeah. Maybe it's just you don't feel mm-hmm. any of the effect of getting the energy, but you're still feeling the crash. So it's yeah. almost like, a, oh, I never had all this energy. Now I have less energy and I'm crashing.
0: When I looked into it, it was really hard to find. There, There was no really solid answer to it. There's a lot that we also don't understand about so many things. And this is just one of them. So if you experience something slightly different than what we explained today, that's normal.
1: Also, like in terms of the genetic piece, I mean, some people can be born with more adenosine receptors. You could have m- yeah. just more active sites. So that's where it's binding. That's the area. Mm-hmm. Tony talked about being like a little puzzle. You may just be born with more of those. So maybe you feel the effects more or less yeah. if you're born with less of them.
0: And it's even something you can get tested. I think when, have you taken like a 23 and me gene no. test? I did just to see one. that one, I think we talked about in the podcast, crushed my Italian heart or what I, oh, thought, yeah. was an, what I thought was an Italian heart <laughs> turned out to be Irish. In your genetic test, it does give you a scale of if you're more likely or less likely to be sensitive to caffeine based on your genetic testing. It puts mm-hmm. you on a scale of one to 100, which is super interesting as well. Now, One of the biggest factors at play in determining if you are someone who is extra sensitive to the effects of caffeine is how your body metabolizes it, how your body runs it through your body and excretes it out. Now, you probably have heard of a caffeine half-life before. I know that term is thrown around a lot. Essentially, a half-life being if you ingest 100 milligrams of caffeine, how many hours until half of that initial dose is still circulating in your body? So if you have 100 milligrams of caffeine, how many hours later will there be 50 milligrams of caffeine? And then the same amount of hours until there's 25, right? To fully excrete it from your body. Now, the most common thing, and I like to do this, I was telling Mariana before the shows is before kind of writing out the more evidence-based answer, I like to just do a simple Google search to see what is trending on media. What is the answer that's thrown in your face before we actually realize if it has anything to back it? And more often than not, it's usually a little bit inaccurate. Shocker. But most of what I've found online, what I've heard just thrown around a lot is that caffeine has a half-life of eight hours. That's usually a commonly thrown number. Have you heard anything more or less common than that?
1: No, that's typically what I've heard too.
0: Yeah, like six to eight is usually a range I think I've heard thrown around. Now, caffeine acts fast. It's a very fast acting drug. It begins to affect your body, reaching peak levels within 30, sometimes 60 minutes at the latest. And from there... It begins getting eliminated from your body primarily metabolized by your liver now a half-life is referring to pretty much how much time needs to go by for half of the ingested amount to still be in circulation where research actually found when looking at large populations and this is not such a shocker people ranged anywhere from 1.5 hours of a half-life to 9.5 hours depending on the individual and all those different factors So some individuals could ingest 200 milligrams of caffeine and have 100 in their bodies just an hour and a half later, where others, it could take up to 9.5 hours to get down to 100. Now, think about the difference that could make, right? You have a cup of coffee, 100 milligrams at eight in the morning. If you're on the quicker end, you metabolize caffeine a lot quicker by Let's say, what's three hours after 8 a.m.? 11 a.m., you could have 25 milligrams circulating, right? Hour and a half later from 100 down to 50, then 50 down to 25, and it just slowly gets smaller and smaller. But if you're on the latter end of that, closer to 9.5 hours, you're very slow at metabolizing this. This is usually more caffeine-sensitive people. (laughs) It could be, what time does that make it? 8 a.m. all the way to 1, 2, 3, 4, I gotta count. 5.30 p.m. You could have a cup of coffee, a single cup of coffee at 8 a.m. And at 5.30 p.m., you will still have 50 milligrams of caffeine circulating in your bloodstream. So these are usually the individuals that feel too wired, too jittery, and cannot sleep from there. And this is an important question because a lot of people say, okay, what time should I have a caffeine cut off around noon or in the afternoon so it doesn't interfere with my sleep? And a lot of people just throw out a solid answer like 2 o'clock or noon, don't have anything after, when the real answer is completely dependent on how quickly you metabolize it. So you can do tests on yourself, and that's what I always recommend, is just see what you notice. If you have a cup of coffee at noon, does it affect your sleep later that night? If it doesn't, maybe one day try one o'clock, or try two o'clock, try three o'clock, right? Try it, and then if you start to notice, oh, whoa, two o'clock, if I have my last cup of coffee right then, I cannot fall asleep until midnight. I try to go to bed at 10, but I cannot shut my brain off, then back it off. But it's going to be so different for everyone. And that might be even earlier for you. You might be someone who after 10 a.m. should not ingest caffeine because it's going to keep you up or at least interfere with your sleep that night, which is interesting because I don't think most people think of it in lines of that, right? They usually want a simple answer, not a more nuanced one. You have a caffeine cutoff time?
1: I try to not have any after three. But I definitely go to bed a little bit later. I'm lucky if I feel the effects for like three hours. Mm -hmm. I've noticed caffeine more since I've cut a lot of it out, but it doesn't. makes me feel a little bit awake for a little bit. And then.
0: It ain't nothing. It ain't nothing. Mine's two o'clock. I found mine. If I have it a minute after two, I'm going to have a hard time sleeping that night, which I know it's probably more in my head that I say a minute after two, but I've just noticed if I have anything after two o'clock, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to bed till midnight. And I try and do yeah. that at nine nine
1: thirty. I find that <sighs> half life piece interesting because I'm not sure if you guys listening know this, but the NCAA is actually the only organization that restricts the amount of caffeine in an athlete's system, and they limit urine concentrations to fifteen micrograms per milligram. Yeah,
0: you were telling me about this in our pre workout episode, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's around like five hundred milligram grams of caffeine. Yeah, but two to three hours before an event so p- athletes in the ncaa get drug tested for caffeine concentration and that will be more so into the performance enhancement effects of caffeine yeah. is the reason why they do this but also it's interesting because one person may have a completely different tolerance for caffeine yeah. and feel these effects for five six seven eight hours
0: i feel like that's almost a little unfair to worry. if you're on the very far end of that, and you take a long time to metabolize it, it could just build up over the course of days to where you don't really get too, too low. That would actually be really interesting to, to do is to dose different individuals or an entire team with Mm -hmm. the same amount at the same time, and then test them all exactly three hours later to see what's in there. That would be a very cool piece to look at, but it's something to think about, especially again, on the performance side of things, you can do that. And I think that's where it affects a lot of people, which later in this episode, we're going to talk about what to do in place of taking caffeine, if you have to work out after work later at night, because even if you work till exhaustion and you have caffeine at six, 7 p.m., but you still notice you can fall asleep, this is where we had the same discussion on our HRV and sleep episode that we were doing a little bit. Even though you're falling asleep, you might just be out of pure exhaustion. Caffeine can still eliminate your body falling into deeper stages, like REM sleep, especially in the first half of your night of sleep. So even if you're able to fall asleep with caffeine in your system, you might not be sleeping well. Mm-hmm. So if you do notice, you're like, yeah, I can crush a double scoop of Legion pre-workout, stim edition at eight o'clock and I can fall asleep by 10, 30. See how you're waking up the next morning. Are you waking up refreshed or are you waking up exhausted? And if you have a sleep tracker, like a aura or a whoop, look at your REM sleep on days that you do take late night caffeine versus days that you do not. And I think that would actually really shock you. Now, as we go into this, and one of the pieces of how people interact with it differently, and this is going to really vary on how we talk about it when it comes to performance and cognition, is building a caffeine tolerance. I know this is something that you and I, just from hearing your stories, you definitely probably did in grad Mm -hmm. school, building a caffeine tolerance, or essentially the feeling that that same 200 milligrams that once gave you a nice euphoric high now doesn't really do anything it pretty much barely opens your eyelids and a lot of people that are chronic users who use this day after day after day after day without breaks really experience this and it's something that kind of sucks because it takes away any positive effect that caffeine might bring to your life so we want to talk about this before jumping into the different performance and cognitive benefits now the exact reason why a caffeine tolerance is formed, isn't set in stone. It's not solid. But one thing that researchers have found, and this has only been in mice, and I want to make sure And whenever we talk about research in mice or rodent studies, we try and be as clear as possible about that. It doesn't always transfer to humans, right? It's not always translational. It doesn't always mean if we notice this in mice, we're going to notice this in human. A good explanation of this is what we talked about with artificial sweeteners if you megadose rodents that doesn't translate to humans. And if it doesn't translate to humans sometimes it doesn't matter, but this hasn't really been tested on for humans, so that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Now, what they found and this is researchers at the National Institute of Health in Maryland found that cortical and striracial adenosine receptors are increased by 15 to 20% by chronic caffeine use in mice, meaning they formed new adenosine receptors from chronic use. They physically formed more. So there's, like you said, from like a birth standpoint, you might be someone who's born with more chronic use might lead to you increasing adenosine receptors, which that is the one piece of this episode that scared me a little bit, because I know if I'm ever going through a busy season of life where I'm working on Saturdays and Sundays, and there's always something going on, there's been probably 30 plus day periods where I've had at least a little caffeine every day for those 30 plus days. And I know a lot of people are like, man, it's been years sometimes without it. So that's not 100% factual, but that's where we think the tolerance buildup may come from along with a few other things. So this matters because when we talk about research later about athletic performance and cognition, a lot of the studies did a really good job of making either the individuals take a tolerance break before the study started, or even in some cases would have the placebo group sustain from caffeine during the course of the study and then introduce caffeine at the end to test strength or cognition, where the other group would be taking it throughout the entire study. And it's almost always that athletic performance decreases after chronic use compared to coming off a break. Mental acuity in the form of memory, reaction time, and word recall all decrease after chronic or multiple day use compared to coming off of either a five all the way up to a 20 day break, at least from what I read. And overall energy and fatigue suffer after repeated use compared to taking a break beforehand. So all of the benefits that we're going to be talking about mainly come from being able to take breaks from it. And I think something that's interesting, if you've known or you want to test if you have a caffeine tolerance, which I feel like most people listening are going to be like, obviously I do, right? I haven't taken a break in 30 days, take just one day completely off it, no dark chocolate, no coffee, no soda, no anything. Take one day completely off it and see where in your life you're noticing that effect come down. Cause I know most people right now are like fat chance, no freaking way I'm gonna do that. But that's a really good way to tell if you formed any sort of a tolerance in that. Mm -hmm. And we wanna make sure, and I think this is when we go into the impact on performance and cognition, how to get a better relationship with caffeine to where you are not relying on it. Because I think most people, when you lay it out, don't want to have to rely on something to be to perform well or to perform well if that's in school or studying or at work or in the gym. You don't want to have to completely rely on something where without it, you're screwed. At least that's how I view it, is I want to have a good relationship with it, but not so I need it. That kind of where you sit too, or you like screw, I don't care.
1: With things like this, Yes, I feel like I agree. But then you get into the level and I can just like the side of me when you're talking about like medication, people also make that argument with medication. And that's not at all what Tony is saying here. But I want to like outline that if you have a psychological clinical condition that requires you to take medication, and it makes you better version of yourself on it, that's a completely different Oh, hundred percent.
0: hundred percent. It's kind of crazy because caffeine tolerance begins almost immediately. If you have 200 million right now, you have a, you're have you a Lani new. If you have another one in an hour, you're not going to feel the same effect of the first one. So it starts almost immediately to at least be formed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now there's a lot of different strategies to this. And again, there's not a one size fits all, or there's not a best way to do it because everyone's so, so, so different. Now, to make sure you avoid building a tolerance. And this is what I would do, at least recommending wise, if you wanna especially stay clear of the potential dangers of maybe even adding adenosine receptors, is make sure one to two days per week, you're taking off of caffeine, completely off if you're in a spot where you can do that. Now, I know a lot of people listening to this are like, okay, well, I calculated it. I'm at like seven or 800 milligrams per day. There's no chance I can be a functioning human being That's that fifth or sixth day or seventh day that I need it. That's just not realistic. And from there, it's kind of like any approach that we take in the gym when we're working with clients or nutritionally, you don't just have to jump in all the way. Bridget, if you're at 800 milligrams per day, maybe instead of one to two days, completely cold turkey, you go one to two days at 400 milligrams for a couple of weeks. Once you get used to that, okay, maybe one or two days at 200, or maybe try and lower your overall dose from 800 down to 700 or seven down to six. It's baby steps like they kind of do it, where I know when I went through, I think it was the beginning of this year, I was realizing this was when I was working more than I probably ever had professionally. I was relying on caffeine bad. I think I was at like six to 700 milligrams per day. And this was on the weekend, it was bad. It got to the point where it's like, I have to, this. I have to, and I tried quitting for like literally a day, and I think by like two p.m. I quit. I was like, "This is stupid." Some
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> people are cold turkey people. If you are that mm-hmm. person, and you feel powerful when you just push through the terrible withdrawals of it, you go for it. But I'm so not that person either. Like, yeah. I I tried to do that too with caffeine, and then I was like, "What are you doing?" Like, you are having so much caffeine every single day why do you think you're just going to be able to not one day and it's like this god complex in me that i think thought i could and then i just started reducing like not even focusing on how many milligrams because i just couldn't wrap my head around that i was like you have at minimum four caffeinated beverages a day let's reduce it by one and Mm -hmm. see how long and then reduce it by another
0: in the same way i had to take it because same thing it's like you want to quit because you realize it's a problem you identify it's a problem and most humans are like, okay, I want to fix that problem. When? Mm-hmm. Right now. So, like, okay, the best way to quit the problem, go cold turkey. That's <laughs> not going to do it. To where I think it actually extended to where I was lowering my dose over the course of either two to three months, mm-hmm. is how long it actually took me to lower. Where I think I went from like 700 milligrams and I just said, okay, for the next two weeks, I'm just going to do 600, which is that great? No, no, it's not. But is it better? Yes. And then yeah. when 600 started to feel normal which didn't happen for until like 10 11 12 days then i jumped down to 500 for another couple of weeks and then once that felt normal down to maybe 450 mm-hmm. and even just in small things like with like the lesion pre-workout instead of taking a full serving which is two scoops i took one serving of the regular stem and then one serving of the stem free boom just cut that caffeinated beverage in half so looking at smaller pieces in your day to kind of lower that so you don't have to go cold turkey but A good place where I think to really maintain the cognitive and athletic benefits, you're typically seeing caffeine use beyond like an every other day-ish basis to where you give yourself a day off. Now, that's not really realistic for a lot of people. It's not even realistic for me, but that's if you want to really see the peaks of the performance that we're going to talk about down below. So it's just something to think about if you're forming a tolerance or how you would get off of that. And you could go like you did, which I love that approach. I have four caffeinated beverages. Mm -hmm. Let's down it to three. Or you could track it like, like I legit was so serious about it. I'm like, this is not, when I get obsessed with a health metric that I want to fix, I get a little notebook and I'll track every single thing. Exactly how many milligrams, at what time, what was my sleep? What was my blood pressure? Like everything. So you don't have to do that. You could do this as well. Now let's start with performance. So we're going to see the impact on workout performance, on improving cognition. And then we're going to go into some supplements to take along with it, along with dispelling a couple myths. Now, Starting with performance, and I'm not going to dive and spend too much time on this just because the pre workout episode we did, where we covered each individual ingredient that has been shown with evidence to have a very effective measure on some sort of measure of performance, we did that in the pre workout episode. So if you do want to, I would recommend going listening to that. But essentially, caffeine has been shown, and this is very, there is a lot of literature on this, it decreases your perceived effort, or essentially, it makes exercise feel easier. It makes you more resistant to fatigue, especially with higher intensity stuff like sprinting and cycling. It increases your power output and the number of reps you can perform before going to failure. And it can boost strength and muscular endurance. Basically, it makes almost every aspect of your workout better. It does. <laughs> so that's where it essentially covers things up. And we went deeper there. And there are dozens and dozens of... Of studies. And I pulled a few here that we don't even have to spend too much time on. I know a big one that I really liked was looking and assessing rep count. And I do think this is important because dosing it for athletic performance, we're going to go through dosages later, was significantly higher to notice these effects than it was on cognition, all the way up to six milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight, which is a lot, which we're going to talk about and do those equations a little bit later. But This one was pulled researchers out of the Sports Federal University in Brazil. They did a double-blind placebo study, giving one group five milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight, with the other getting a placebo. Now, for reference, five milligrams per kilogram of body weight, I weigh about 220 pounds. That translates to about 90 kilograms. So that is five milligrams per 90 kilogram. That's upwards. I can't do that quick math, so I'm going to get my little calculator out. What is five would you have that five times 90 is it 450 450 milligrams yeah. so it's a pretty high dose as far as standards go now each group performed three sets of bench press and three sets of leg press to failure at their at a percentage of their one repetition max the caffeine group was able to perform 11.6 percent more repetitions on bench press and 19 percent more repetitions across sets on leg press the study compared to their baseline tested beforehand compared to the placebo group 11.6 and 19 percent on increased repetitions that adds up in the gym we've talked about on our progressive overload episode which i think was what two weeks ago we talked in detail about how important training volume is repetitions being one key factor of that so if you're able to increase your training volume by 11 or almost up to 20%, especially on a day-to-day basis over time, imagine what that can do for progress, especially when it comes to strength and muscle building.
1: Yeah. did Do you know if these people both started in both groups at the same baseline of not taking caffeine?
0: So I think in this one, they had them sustained from caffeine for five days before the study. They had a five-day break
1: hmm.
0: beforehand, which again... Like most of these studies did have some sort of an absence break beforehand when noticing these, which again, plays a huge role because 450 milligrams, if it's your seventh day in a row, taking those versus your first day after a five day break, you're going to notice a massive, massive, massive difference. So things like that matter, right? And another one that I think I find interesting, which most people don't really think about when it comes to training And this is where research on how music, or how in this case, caffeine or different supplements or different mindset strategies can reduce the perceived effort during training, which what that essentially means, right? It makes exercise feel easier. So you could do the same amount of work, but one group could feel like the exercise was easier, right? That's gonna motivate you obviously to be able to do more, to maybe not tap out quite as early. Where caffeine could improve performance by almost 7 to 11% compared to placebo groups, which again, people are like, what's 7%? What's 11%? If you add that up on a daily basis, that's huge. Yeah. That is huge. And before we we jump to cognition, because I think this would be a good place to put it in here, is a lot of people are probably sitting here like bummed out because they're like, I'm missing out on a lot of gains here. Because I work out at 8 p.m. It's the only time of day. Maybe I have a family, some kids. I have work until 5. I got to drive home, cook dinner, put the kids down. That's the only time I can grab a workout. And that's okay. And I wouldn't recommend caffeine at this time. Because the small increase in training volume and intensity and effort, I don't think would offset the negative effect from how much sleep you would lose. And that's more my opinion. I don't think this has been directly studied. I actually didn't look into that. But I would guess more than not, at least from what you and I have learned, that any potential benefit that you receive from the caffeine during training would be negated by the the almost unavoidable loss of sleep that you get. At least that's my opinion on it. Yeah. Is that where you stand too? Yeah, it's
1: totally not worth it. And also is like... I, what I personally think about, because I remember when I first started taking pre-workout and what I did in the gym when I first started. doing And I was also at that time, I was like maybe a one cup of coffee every now and then type of person. Mm-hmm. So I was not having more than like a hundred milligrams in a sitting ever in a whole day. And I felt unstoppable in the gym. And that was so short-lived. So
0: maybe like a week or two,
1: (laughs) I would say maybe like a month. And, but now, because I take pre-workout in the morning, like when I really feel like really need it. So that's maybe once or twice a week. And Mm. I do feel a difference when I do take it because I'm not taking it every single day. So I feel like you also can weigh that and that tolerance builds up, especially if you're taking a pre-workout every single day. That is like 300 milligrams of caffeine.
0: I forgot about that. The first time you try it is, it's almost like a psychedelic experience, like the Uh, euphoria that you experience from the first scoop of pre-workout.
1: Also, mind you, I have never, like the first time I tried it, I was a freshman in college and I had never, ever tried any sort of stimulant ever. And I never drank coffee until I got to college, did not care. Oh my God. I was like, what is happening? I'm sweating. I'm like ready to go. I could run a marathon.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same exact thing happened to me. And the, it literally, it's so short. It's, yeah. it's again, like don't freak out. If you work out at night and you can't have caffeine because it's going to interrupt your sleep, don't freak out because there's still some things that you can do that improve your focus, improve your performance, your endurance, your strength, reduce fatigue. There's still things like that that do that, that also are not stimulants. So if you're working out at night, and I do urge you, because a lot of people still take pre-workout at like 7, 8 p.m., I urge you to start to wean off and notice the effect that it has on the rest of your entire day with the quality of sleep increase that Mm -hmm. you're going to get from that. Now, the one big one that I actually experimented with personally, that there's not as much data as like creatine or caffeine or citrulline malate, things that we're going to talk about. One is cordyceps mushroom. This is one that used to be used, I think, in an old, like, on it formulation. I don't think they do anymore. But cordyceps mushrooms might actually help increase the body's production of ATP, along with the, improving the way your body uses oxygen, ex- especially during exercise. And that's usually been noted with increases in strength in the gym without caffeine. So cordyceps mushrooms might almost make you feel awake, but not alert or stimulated, along with several other the common ones that, again, we talk about in the Legion pre-workout clinical doses of Alpha GPC, which helps increase power output, but is not a stimulant. Citrulline, malate, up to eight grams to increase blood flow and endurance. Again, not a stimulant, will not keep you up at night. Beta alanine and beta reducing fatigue and increasing your strength and endurance. So all of those outside of cordyceps are found in the Legion Stim-Free Pre-Workout. So finding a solid Stim-Free Pre-Workout with some of those ingredients, would go a long way. Where are you gonna feel as jacked and euphoric As you do with a high stim pre-workout no you're not going to feel that so don't expect that going into it but if you have a really hard time dragging yourself to the gym later at night without anything something like that might help something like that might help another note that you might want to stack with that and this is going a little out of order is there's some at least initial data on a supplement called rutacarpine it might be ruta carpine. i don't know how to pronounce that rutacarpine But essentially, it helps produce an enzyme that breaks down caffeine in the body. So it helps eliminate caffeine from the body at a little bit quicker of a rate. So if you take rutacarpine, this is something I think is actually even in like Legion Sleep formula, even though I'm not a huge, huge fan of the formula because it it has melatonin, but it has rutacarpine. So you could probably find this on Amazon for like 10 to 20 bucks max and experiment with taking that two to four hours before bedtime if you take caffeine later in the day or if you're like you or I when you try and cut off by like two to 3 p.m., but you might have to have a cup of coffee or something, right? You're going to the boyfriend's family or like me when I was <laughs> hanging out with my girlfriend's Polish family who doesn't speak a lot of English. I'm like, I got to be on. I got I to give the people what they want. Maybe having a cup of coffee at like four or five o'clock, rutacarpine might be there to help eliminate that. Yeah. It might. So that's something that you might want to experiment as well. I don't think it's something that if you're Downing pre-workout at 8 p.m. is really going to have any effect though. So those are something that you could do (laughs) along with that. Now, before we go into that, let's talk about cognition because this is probably the second largest use of caffeine is to think and perform better from a cognitive standpoint, like what you and I are probably doing right now with our caffeine. We're not going to work out. We're using it for alertness, right? To speak better to things like this. And research is pretty clear that caffeine can improve your alertness. Your learning speed, your memory, your reaction time and focus, all these things that are massively important. And the one thing that kind of shocked me that I didn't hear learn about before writing this outline is increasing or improving learning speed, which I thought was really cool, which no shocker, because people like you said, in grad school, you're probably down in eight cold brews to study. But they actually had some research that was done at the University of East London and they found that caffeine increases psychomotor learning speed and focus psychomotor speed being the ability to actively maintain and manipulate information over a brief period of time and to allocate attentional resources across competing tasks I meaning it can help pretty much shuffle out competing competing things competing for your attention so it really helps you dial in it helps you focus which is huge. And the design of this study was, is pretty well is 88 participants and they were randomly allocated to either a caffeine or a decaf coffee drink. And what I thought was actually interesting is they also separated groups at random into either expectation wise being told they were getting caffeine or being told they were getting decaf. So some of the caffeinated drinkers were told that it was decaf. Some of the not like the decaf drinkers told It was caffeinated, and they also did this with a placebo.
1: I love that.
0: It was really freaking cool. Now, the results, and this wasn't super shocking, but it was cool to see. Both groups who consumed caffeine and expected caffeine, even if they were drinking the decaf, scored better on learning tests that -hmm. tested psychomotor learning speed. The actual caffeine consumption group scored the absolute highest by a pretty notable degree, but both groups performed higher. Then the decaf group who was told they were de- getting decaf, which I think is interesting as well, because I know sometimes you might be thinking you're drinking regular coffee. I don't know if you've ever accidentally drinking decaf, but that just the taste almost like wakes you up and you're like, oh, yeah. maybe this is real. It's I, kind of that little note in there.
1: That's that something I was going to meant to bring up when we were talking about if you're trying to wean off caffeine a little bit, going with the decaf version, like even if you even know it, like just the act of drinking any sort of beverage with the intention to get something done, that can increase your focus because you're adjusting your mindset. So if you are going to reach for an energy drink or a coffee with the intention that this is going to help me focus, I'm going to sit down and drink this and do whatever I need to do, that alone can't help. So yeah.
0: It was so cool to look at, and especially when it comes to learning, and I know a lot of people do this. I know I do it when I'm studying for a big interview or things like that. If we have a big podcast host on, I'm trying to review information. And I think a cool note is I know Huberman has touched on this in his learning episodes and focused on how important adrenaline is in storing information. So I really recommend going to listen to, I forget the title of his episode on this, but I think it was on learning. It had learning in the title, but not only can caffeine help in the process while you are studying that information especially if you can match that same level when you're taking a test or when you're actually using that information if you can get to the same caffeinated level but also an immediate caffeine after studying which causes that immediate adrenaline spike after you've reviewed the information can help better store that information for future use which i think is really really cool that natural or even synthetic in this case adrenaline spike can help you store that information. So if you're reading a book or if you wanna learn something better, you could go do some quick sprints outside. You could chug a Red Bull, sugar-free, of course. At nights, it kinda of helped that out. Now, I thought that was a really cool note on cognition, but it can help in all of those different aspects. So it does a lot of good things. Now, some quick consumption methods with supplements and dosing before we kinda of get into some myths, the heart health, everything else with it. To wrap up, one very important note on dosing is this can be hard to write a prescription of how much caffeine you should take. Now, in most cognitive studies reviewed, the dosing was between one and three milligrams per kilogram of body weight, one and three. So for an example, if you're a 200 pound individual, that tra- that translates to about 90 kilograms. That means anywhere, right, one to three milligrams per kilogram from 90 to 270 milligrams of caffeine to get that cognitive benefit. But again, that's going to also depend on your tolerance you've built, the genetic factors that we've talked about. But when it comes to performance, where they really started to actually notice the big in the statistical differences, in strength and performance was upwards of three closer to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight so if you're taking six milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight for that same 200 pound individual that's up to 540 milligrams of caffeine for that benefit now that is a much higher dose than i think a lot of people are used to even the higher dose pre-workouts are like 400 which i still think is a little too high but why i think it's also worth to practice those tolerance tests or maybe consider only taking caffeine if you got a good relationship with it on training days that could help. Mm. So that's one thing to note dosing wise is to stick within there, but more importantly, pay attention to how you react, how your body reacts, how you respond when you go seven days in a row versus taking a day off every other day. But one supplement that more energy drinks have started to finally pair with it. It's in this one. Is it in that one? I think it's in quite a few. It's a magic one, L-theanine. I now, L theanine, and this is something you can take alone. I even take this before podcast days in a pill capsule, about two to 400 milligrams. But L theanine is a naturally occurring non protein amino acid found in tea that promotes relaxation by reducing stress and anxiety levels. Now, L theanine is not a sedative and it does not cause drowsiness. But I think we've even recommended this before. It might help improve sleep quality by putting you in a more relaxed state. at night. So it's a little confusing why people would want to pair this with caffeine. But when you do, it's been shown to have a very notable enhancement on focus and cognitive function when taken with caffeine and can even reduce some of the excitatory aspects of caffeine, like anxiety, jitterness, and even blood pressure, where oftentimes when dosed at a one-to-one ratio of L-theanine to caffeine, there's even been research that shows that it completely offsets the acute increase in blood pressure caused by caffeine. It takes that all the way down, which I think is so freaking cool because that's one of the bigger quote unquote dangers people read from it. But this is also why you notice probably caffeine from different sources feels different. Like how caffeine from tea is often described more as a slower, prolonged, slow release form of energy instead of a coffee, which can be more of a spike or a jolt and relatively short-lived with a crash. Mm -hmm. It's usually because... L theanine is naturally in tea. It's bound together in there, which is huge. Now, to dose L theanine, which is cool, it has a remarkably high toxicity level, L theanine, meaning it's harder to overdose on, but it's not me saying take as much as you want. Usually, it's taken at like a one to one ratio with caffeine, meaning if you have a 100 milligram cup of coffee, you would match that with 100 milligrams of L theanine. But you don't typically need as much L-theanine over the course of the day because it lasts longer in your system. So you don't have to take it with if you have three or four caffeinated beverages through the day, you don't have to redose L-theanine. And generally up to 400 milligrams per day is what you would max out on to get that calming, more relaxing effect with it. So, yes, you can take it for sleep, but one, it's really nice compared and matched with caffeine. I think that's even in the Legion pre and several other pre-workouts are starting to add it in more. The only side note I'd say on that is I know there's not a super high, like there's a high toxicity level, but if you take an overwhelming amount, you might notice a sleepy or tired effect just because of what it's suppressing your body. So I'm not saying mega dose it for bedtime either. Just don't take it. Just don't abuse it. (laughs) Is essentially It's magical. (laughs) Yeah. Like anything, don't just take it and just floor it with it and i think that's a big one because a lot of people talk about like the dangers of it i know you and i were looking at the trend going on which poor celsius getting picked on because i'm even sometimes a fan of celsius outside their claims but Mm -hmm. you were showing me how many freaking trends are popping up where it's like oh people in a hospital bed saying this is what drinking a celsius every day did to me Mm -hmm. and there's heart failure and there's stuff like this and i know that's a fear of a lot of people i was gonna say like would you consider even like a celsius but caffeine in general something like dangerous inherently dangerous
1: so the thing with the celsius trend and this is still going on it started like i think last year but i've seen recent ones is the caffeine content is the biggest potential culprit here so 200 milligrams of caffeine is found in celsius and that's even on the lower side for Mm. energy drinks Yeah, but that's high compared to a cup of coffee A lot of younger individuals especially are drinking like two of these a day. And then you add that on top of even if you're just drinking one, if you are chugging that on an empty stomach, if you're trying Mm. to drink it fast before you're going somewhere before a workout, this sudden big hit of caffeine can cause an acute spike in blood pressure. It can cause palpations. It can even cause seizures. That's The Celsius is not the problem. The, ca- the caffeine content is the problem, and that can happen from any energy drink, too much coffee. Again, too much of anything yeah. can be a bad thing. Unfortunately, these people who are filming these TikToks from hospital bed, they found out the hard way that that was too much caffeine for their body to tolerate. Oh, so is Celsius automatically going to send you to the hospital? can't say that i don't know your health history but if you're having one a day and you tolerate that fine and then you start to have two you increase your likelihood of having some complications because it's higher caffeine yeah it's not the celsius it's just too much caffeine and some people can't handle that
0: yeah you gotta remember we're talking about a stimulant here so too much of any stimulant could have potential. And this is also taken so out of context because we always talk about like the first order and the second order consequences. What about the second order consequences? If you're downing multiple Celsius energy drinks a day, is that going to interfere with your sleep and suppress your sleep quality, which also is like an independent risk factor of increasing heart disease, all these cardiovascular problems? Yes. Is it going to increase your cortisol and stress? Yes. What else is happening? That's not just the caffeine. So it's easy to blame Caffeine, it's easy to blame those one things. And even though, because especially on an empty stomach, which is a very good point, those acute spikes, because they are really acute. And we were talking about this beforehand. The Nurses Health Studies 1 and 2 did find that even higher doses of caffeine don't have a lasting effect on elevated blood pressure, meaning you still see an acute spike of blood pressure, but it doesn't elevate it past normal range. Mm -hmm. I thought was super interesting. And that's where a lot of people really blame it for all these negative happenings. And I know along with that, some people are worried, and they say it it's a diuretic; it dehydrates you, and that's really where like you you get really dehydrated. So caffeine's not good for you. It's a myth, right? The myth yeah. that caffeine dehydrates you. Yes, caffeine is considered a diuretic, but what's the definition of a diuretic? It increases the production of urine. That's simply what a diuretic does. That doesn't mean it automatically dehydrates you, even though some different diuretic drugs can. Research of out of Connecticut, the University of Connecticut still showed that the amount of liquid contained in a caffeinated beverage is more than enough to replace the amount lost. You are net more hydrated after the cup of coffee than you would be without it. So are you going to be as hydrated as like an electrolyte water drink? No, you're not, but it still goes with that. Now, along with those small things and how to help negate it, one L-theanine, again, I think massively under understated because it can even help negate the acute spike in blood pressure that you get. Obviously, up to a certain degree, if you're taking a thousand milligrams of caffeine, you're like, oh, just take a thousand milligrams of Elthin and I'll be fine. No, no, (laughs) it's not always better. But especially if you're someone who experiences anxiety and jitters with too much caffeine, where if you're very sensitive to it, it's usually best taken with a one-to-one ratio of water and some sort of electrolyte with it. So a pinch of sea salt, something like a body armor drink or was it element is another one that goes those electrolyte drinks usually taken it with can severely decrease how much jitteriness and anxiety you experience and if you want to really avoid the crash as a final note for how to dose it and huberman talks about this one as well with how much he dives into the circadian rhythm give your body about 90 to 120 minutes in the morning to wake up naturally to go through all those natural cascade of events that your body does on its own before interrupting it and jamming in a synthetic adrenaline spike, a synthetic mm. dopamine, all these. So if you wait about 90 to 120 minutes, your cortisol will naturally be able to elevate on its own, which can then be added onto with caffeine, which is typically where you notice a lot less of a come down, a lot less of a crash, more sustained energy without that interference of just first thing when you wake up, how many people listening to this right now, the first thing that enters their mouth in the morning is black coffee right? And no water, no food, no nothing. It's black coffee. It's an energy drink. It's on the way out the door. So that is going to be where we tie it up <laughs> on caffeine, which overall, I think to sum everything up is an incredible drug to use if you're able to. Yeah. I think there's a lot of benefit to use, but like anything, Have a good relationship with it. So that's where we're going to light this one up. Is there any closing notes Mm -hmm. or question on caffeine that we want to cover real quick?
1: I think that that covers it. I also just think this just speaks to the broader, be intentional with what you're doing. So I know a lot of like when you're younger, you just need caffeine, you're going out or you're going to the gym with your friends. It can be a social thing, but being intentional with everything you do, why you're doing it, taking that extra step to think about it will be suit you better in the long term. So just taking the next step to think about that. Always. And listening to this episode is like a first step of that, just to learn a little bit more about it. So I think that caffeine is really fascinating. A lot of people don't know about this or don't really, it's just caffeine. I feel like it's very underestimated. So loved it. Very
0: Underestimated if used correctly, because I can't even tell like the difference that I've noticed when I was taking the higher doses at the beginning of this year compared to now like under three to 400 milligrams per day with the half and half pre-workout and then one caffeinated beverage later. Mm -hmm. The amount of net increased energy and recovery and better that I feel from that compared to this. So if you're someone who is reliant on it, I know it's gonna suck. It's gonna suck real bad. I think it's worth trying to experiment with becoming less reliant on it. Being able to put one, maybe two days a week where you're not taking it or at least lowering your dose a little bit, like you said, on social media, it's become the cool thing to dry scoop two, three scoops of pre-workout to see who can do it the most. It's not the best. And you're not going to see any long-term benefits because you're going to be reliant on it. You're not getting those comeback bounce-back effects that you get from taking a break. So hopefully, as always, our 50th episode helped your Monday suck a little bit less you can always reach out to us on fs.pod on tiktok or instagram especially with dms with recommendations questions and if you want to hit that research review link is down below where we're having that half off deal through the new year and i think legion if i'm not mistaken by the time you listen to this has a pretty sick deal on their stem free workout if you do work out later in the day if you want to check it out is that it i always forget one that's thing it. That's, that's it That's incredible go be a good person merry mark christmas happy new year if you celebrate you going out to party on new year's
1: me i'm yeah. going to new jersey really
0: yeah hell yeah i'm going to a shrek rave where you dress up like a different shrek character so i that hate be
1: fun. costume parties but that uh, sounds cool unless, unless it's like...
0: shrek unless it's shrek yeah so i got excited but anyways happy new year's merry christmas if you celebrate we'll talk to y'all soon